Hi, I'm Bryn Thompson. This is the Coburn Ventures podcast. It's for our clients, for investors, for our community of industry leaders, fellows, and friends. This is a group that loves the craft of investing, studies change, is dedicated to business analysis and leadership, and all that's behind the scenes of that work. I hope you enjoy it. to identify a company that is a true guardian of a valuable, durable brand. Well, now that we've learned more about brand character with Vita, we'll continue to focus on assessing if the company's actually acting consistent with brand character, something we may refer to as authenticity as a shortcut, but we're going to go much deeper and understand what we're talking about. Authenticity or acting consistent with brand character is one of the key ways to preserve and build brand value. If we as investors are going to purport that a company has, quote unquote, a great brand or a brand that translate into an intangible asset, these are things we probably want a deeper understanding of. And I think we'll benefit from understanding how Vita thinks about brand character as key to durability and long-term success. Let's jump in. It seems like things are changing quickly. Brands are coming and going. They can pop up easily, just like companies can pop up easily or uh, faster than before. And you've hit on something that seems to actually start to build some uh, competitive advantage. Maybe it's going a little too far, but some some room to move in a in a pretty wild marketplace. Is there anything else that comes to mind for you, either that is um, that also provides that? Um, almost like a little bit of a buffer or barrier? Or is there anything else that you see is going to get really difficult in the next five years? Yeah, one of the things that I, um, I'll say one more thing about brand character, which is part of, um, which is sort of before tone of voice, right? Because tone of voice is like, for example, you can have, when you introduce a friend at a cocktail party, you tell someone like, oh my gosh, you have to meet Pip. He's just the most dynamic, uh, like worldly and hilarious person you'll ever meet. Right? Amazingly good They're looking, usually... tremendously smart. <laughs> I mean, you usually have to cut people off. But usually you would not use more than three, right? Like no one's, you usually you're not gonna like be like, and, 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 like, you're, you know, you'll just, it just doesn't happen in human behavior, right? So that's like one of the things we use when we do character, we really try to nail three that when in combination, really truly honor the, 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 the full breadth of the product, give all the permission that's sort of needed for the brand. And the reason also for that is because, and then you go to things like tone of voice, look and feel, because you can imagine that let's um, let's say like a provocative, thoughtful, um, and uh, let's say stylish woman, right? That could have been, well, maybe not Anne Boleyn. She wasn't necessarily so thoughtful, but that could have been um, all kinds of people in the in like let's say the 1920s, right? And they might have worn a very different kind of dress, and there may have been very different sort of like. Uh, slang language at the time that they're like dropping at the door of the, you know, of the bar and all of these sorts of things. Right. But that character, you can also imagine that you're, you probably have a friend in your life who kind of like embodies that now. And so having a character that's truly timeless 
and has a unique sort of combination, then they can change their dress. They can change like some of their language. They can move through time. And you see this uh, with the Brooks Brothers and the Gucci, right? These very long lasting brands do this very well. And I bring this up in answer to your question, Britton, because I said this also on our recent call, you know, the founders of Brooks Brothers weren't like, we're building a 200 year old brand today, right? Like they didn't think about that, right? Um, the guardians of the brand, I think that there's a certain point in time for duration and longevity where who's being chosen on leadership and what their sensitivities are to time, to character, to culture, shifts in culture, those things become, I think, larger determiners of the lasting nature of that brand than potentially the brand itself. Right. So there is, I think, from an especially an investor standpoint, you know, some of the emerging needs for brand. Um, one of them we talked about in the call, and I thought I kind of whittled it down to like a couple of different things that sort of came up in the call that were not just my ideas, but good radar in the sense of like Grant's sort of language about like, you know, tuned into culture and in particular tuned into expectation shift which is like this really big thing that happens where subscription models occur, let's say in food. And then all of a sudden we expect, we, we, we either have increased tolerance or even expectation for them in things like cars, right? So a, a, an expectation shift in a totally different category, it's something to be aware of and be looking for the signals of allowance or permission or even expectation transferring into your category right and the other is then self-awareness is our character feeling like it's accurately expressing itself outwards and do we see that in to your point pip the heuristic response of the people that matter to our brand and that can be very different types of audiences and then there's genuine care for customer, which is what I think people tr mean sort of with authenticity. They're kind of like using authenticity, kind of say all these things at once, which is like, be true to yourself as the brand and care about people and make those th two things make sense to the average person who looks from the outside. But care for customer can look very different. That can sometimes be done by having just a really excellent product where the, the, the people are like, this carabiner never breaks on me, right? Like, I mean, like, and they feel that care in how thoughtful you were about the safety of a given object, right? Or um, the function, like function is care, right? This is not just like saying in marketing language, like we care about you. No, it's not expressing care. It's true care for customer. And this also feeds into community and brand advocacy. So this also creates longevity for the brand where you have people who they care enough about the brand to talk about it with other people and to advocate for it and say, no, don't choose that other brand in the box. Yes, it's cheaper, but like they don't care as much, right? They're just jumping on the mattress box chain. We're back to mattresses. <laughs> and the fourth thing, as I mentioned, one more, which is, uh, a theory I'm sort of in the midst of developing, but to me, I think is relevant, which is a tolerance or capacity for nuance, it, which is uh, on the leadership level. And in particular, in, the, in the, the realm of navigating marketing channels in particular. And so I see a really interesting 
things happening in different organizations where brand informs marketing and in other places, the CMO is dictating brand. And I would, as an investor, just be really uh, tuned into which way are they going? Like, what is the theory of their case around the relationship between marketing and brand? Because you just then sort of like know what you're working with. Um, there are CMOs who are thoughtful about brand in a particular kind of way. And there are like chief branding officers who have certain marketing prowess, right? This is another place where the dovetail and how they talk about each other and how they talk about the synergy to me can have a lot, an impact on brand effectiveness and therefore on company and product effectiveness in a like longer view way. And the ability to understand how the same character acts in TikTok versus Super Bowl versus, mm -hmm. right? Like now this just the number of channels available versus, you know, chat rooms or like a Discord, like multi-thread community type dynamic, right? Like uh, versus like in response to major social uh, media, like uh, trends, right? In response to big social justice uh, statements, right? Mm -hmm. These these things all require a super tuned in self-awareness to the brand, right? The brand character and what is right, again, not for the CEO to say about Black Lives Matter, but what would the brand say? Would the brand say anything? And if so, what would it say to be true to the brand, right? So those are some of the like ingredients that, you know, I think from, again, how you weigh that, what questions you ask to sort of get a sense of where the leadership teams stand on these issues as guardians of brand. Um, but I think that systems for nuance, right? Like how do they manage uh, like, you know, marketing channel nuance, you know, how are they set up to do that is I think also an emerging need. As you help me see that the brand is something that doesn't belong to the CEO, the CMO, that it's got this life out there and a great company will recognize that and then operate consistent with this thing that's out there that is more so controlled by the customers, potential customers, than controlled by them. They might be able to nudge it this way. So they're listening and that mm -hmm. helps inform who they hire, et cetera. When I hear the phrase brand authenticity, I have this thought that what irks me maybe most about it is it's a, oftentimes I hear it's a methodology for us to sell more stuff in other for hmm. us to get a benefit. And what you said in that last part was, well, if the brand doesn't belong to us, if we're operating consistent with the brand, necessarily it's for the benefit of the people who are gonna be buying and what they might buy. It's not so we hit our sales targets. So brand authenticity would be this thing that moves even further away from the financial metrics and goals and more towards the well-being and serving of and the care of the people who might be the beneficiaries of the products. Well, in the near-term financial metrics and goals. Well, I'm not saying there's, uh, you get away with near-term financial metrics and goals. It's just when, if it's brand authenticity does not mean, oh, it's a new way of playing people. So they buy more stuff. So I hit my targets. That's what I think irks me. Yeah. When I think authenticity is really a new form of playing me as the sucker 
in their game that they need to hit their bonuses and their targets and employments? Yeah, I think the challenge there is that the, the overlap of um, brand tools, let's call them, and metrics, right, and, and necessary sales goals, right, is it, there's a unique tension there because when you when you're trying to grow your market size, let's say you hit a point at which the number of, you know, you're either trying to reach more people who just very genuinely are like, oh, finally, the underwear I've always wanted, right? Versus you've run out of people who want your kind of underwear. Now you're in a different sales game, right? Which where you're educating or you're trying to sort of like can talk them out of the other underwear, right? Like it, it, it's different, right? That you're now in a heuristics game where you're trying to inspire or catalyze uh, the, the elevating of a certain value or the elevating of a certain need that may not have been that genuine. And so, and so I, I do believe that, especially in this way, I think I also really love working with smaller and growth stage brands is because I believe that that need is very genuine that they're meeting. But I do think that the expectations of scale, especially in public market and the way that shareholder value is all, you know, all of that sort of like pressure, there's a point at which you enter a game, a brand where they're, they're, you're, you're generating need. You're not just unearthing need or finding it more effectively, right? Or in the right places, like you, you may have to be generating need. And so I don't know, I mean, you can call it whatever you wanna call it, but if we're going to force companies to generate need, right? Uh, because they have to not like just start another product that meets a different need or, right? Like, or partner with, you know, like get bought out and be, just find where they are, just sustain at that level of sales because people always have to buy more underwear. Like it's fine. We're only gonna get, you know, 3 million people to buy underwear and they're gonna buy it from us every couple of years at this, what you know, whatever, right? Like, but we don't have a lot of allowance for that in the way that our market expectations and shareholder return, all these sort of things work. So I don't know if we're ever gonna get away, whatever we call it, with not generating need. And those of us who are very sensitive to that, to being asked to need something that we don't, that's not going to go away. Have you seen any missteps that just have made you, you know, say, I'm going to note that that was a real interesting misstep. Yeah, so I'm constantly collecting cultural seeds, right, of and like paying attention to all the little moves brands are making. And I happen to live in Brooklyn, New York, which is, you know, a very particular kind of demographic, but brands often are attempting to get cool or connect with cool on a broader cultural sense by kind of leveraging wall murals in like this particular like neighborhood of, of Brooklyn, right? So I'm uh, more sensitive to like what they're attempting to do in that particular lens, let's say. I don't have any view on whether their campaigns in their minds were effective or not. But I recently saw um, a Hagen dawes ad on like a very prime like street in Bushwick where they bring tours of people to see sort of like the street art and things like that by very famous street artists. And it, it was like, <laughs> they had like, 
the perfectly selected like broadness of other, like very traditional like race demographics and these like very sort of like trying to look hip people with like the you know the vanilla with almond chocolate covered you know like bar and it, it was like um it was like a forced phrase right like something like uh um let's get like get your dawes get your dawes on right like where they were attempting to turn hagen dawes into a verb right which you know maybe somewhere they did some sort of like street culture research and they were like, people are saying this, we should embrace this. My guess is that is not the case. And they were sort of trying to say like, look, Hagen does, we can be cool too, right? Like we know how to be cool, but really like they are just a beautifully classic, <laughs> like German inspired, right? Like, like, like confectionery brand. And so you just feel, to, to Pip's terrible word, the inauthenticity of this of this moment. It would have been great if they kind of made fun of themselves for how cool, uncool they are. Right. Would have totally worked. No matter exactly. what, this is like going back to the, ch the children going through school. This is just like an awkward playground moment all around. Like, totally exactly you and you're play. trying to fit in now you're trying to be funny about not fitting yeah. in and you oh. feel and I, and I and I don't mean to say that from a place of like shame on you like I feel like I feel for brands when they're like I we don't know who we are right now and we have this market like all these numbers we need to hit and we think the way to do that is like get some hip-hop culture in our like put, put on a hip-hop culture t-shirt and it's it's hard to watch it, it hurts my heart because Hagen does has, I still eat it occasionally. Like it does have value and it has brand value, but right there it was confused about who it was <laughs> to your point about, I love that, that awkward playground moment. Love Vita's distinction between um, the two different brand jobs. One is maybe unearthing a need and the other is having to generate need. It's a helpful transition point maybe to understand in the life of a product and another way to explore how companies will handle S-curves successfully or not. So this ends our exploration on brand value. Thank you, Erwin, thank you, Vita. And just ping us if you want any of the writing that goes along with this study of brand and brand value. Next week, we start a new module on leadership. I can't wait for you to hear it. Thanks for listening. <laughs>